Hi, everybody. I'm Gus Johnson along with the governor. He says he got all his jeans from his mom. From his mom. A lot of nylon. A lot of excitement in the air. Yes. And we're ready for college basketball. College basketball. Oh, oh. Gus. Oh, he's got onions. Gus. He's got onions. What's up, everybody? Welcome to week 17 of the Big East Barroom, brought to you by SeatGeek. Use the code BEBR at checkout to get $20 off your first order. We have been ordering tickets for Madison Square Garden. You probably want to go to Madison Square Garden to see the best conference tournament in sports, the Big East Tournament. Rye, how are you on this glorious Sunday after we just watched you come on? Yeah, nice, uh, you know. Great moment. Always love seeing the regular season championship get clinched, uh, clinched a little earlier than last year and maybe not as interesting of a race as last year, but still really awesome. Really cool storylines for UConn. Do you think people, I saw Mark had fans going like, Oh, the big East um, regular season. You guys said it didn't matter. I remember when Providence won a few years ago, two years ago, that it really mattered. The beginning of divine Providence is all the big East regular season championship being clinched. Yeah, I think it matters. I do too. I, I mean, I understand the argument that a tournament matters more. I That's mean, our official position. Yeah, we've heard Colin Gillespie weigh in on that. He would know better than me, but I certainly think it matters. I think it matters too. I think then it might be a bigger indication of the long-term success of your program because you've done it over a certain you know months rather than just a few days when the biggest tournament. I don't know if you have any evidence to back up that claim, but it could possibly be true. Well, Georgetown won a Big East tournament and has not won a Big East regular okay. season recently. And Villanova won a Big East tournament and won two national championships. Sure. You're going to say the Big East tournament is obviously more fluky than the Big East regular season. No, I don't agree with that's that. That's just a stupid take. It's a few games, obviously. It's no, because they're not in Madison Square Garden, so that's fluke. St. John's does play Madison Square Garden and doesn't win. No fluke. When, when they're at Madison Square Garden, no fluke. If we're going to top Big East tournament, we are going to go in order today based on the seeding. It's going to end up being worst to best. So we're only going to put one minute on the clock to talk about the first two teams because, unfortunately, they have still not earned the opportunity to get the full three minutes. And let's put three mi- or one minute on the clock to talk about the DePaul Blue Demons. And, Tyler, you got an interesting DM. Andy Thompson, really appreciate you coming on and saying that you're a listener of our podcast despite us kind of shitting on DePaul every week. Interesting stuff happening in DePaul and Javon Freeman Liberty has been giving a his two-way guard, went to a multi-year NBA deal. That's fantastic news. And this week, Matt Struess hit a game winner for the Miami Heat. You know, Tyler, they must have had a lot of success with all these, um, you know, professional players that play so well in the NBA. No, they have not had a lot of success because they're not good. Matt Struess also plays for the Cleveland Cavaliers. He played for the Miami Heat last year. Um, no, they're really bad. He had a game winner for the Cleveland Cavaliers, not the Miami Heat. Oh, you're correcting yourself. Yes, I'm correcting myself. Um, No, DePaul's really bad. They don't have a coach. They lost both their games this week. Um, I'm not going to do the quick turkey math, but they lost by 33 to Xavier and by 20 to Butler. That's not very good. That's 53 minus 152. Yeah, by far the most interesting thing we learned uh, this week about DePaul is that we have DePaul listeners. We thought you guys all left. Andy Thompson, shout out. Thanks for DMing. If you guys DM us, good chance you're going to get on the show. So thanks for doing that, Andy. All right. Right, let's talk about the other basement dweller of the Big East. And they actually played a really interesting game, but I think we're going to talk about that more on the Xavier side. They lost both their games this week. They scored 47 points against a um, 
Villanova team. 47 points. Um, Georgetown's awful. We just had John Fanton, and you'll hear him at the end of this. No way it could have been this bad. No, but he talks a lot about Georgetown. So if you are a Georgetown fan, you want to hear, um, you know, some big picture stuff. We go into it with John for this week. Yeah, it was cool. They almost beat Xavier. Is it amazing they managed to choke that game away also? Like, yeah, that's incredible. The, the Their inability to win should be studied because they are the best at not winning um, that I've seen in a while. Despite two different regimes coming in, and they still cannot win. Yeah, and, and, they're, and they're much more talented than yes. DePaul. Yeah, Rowan Brumbaugh um, looked good in this game. But, yeah, they had a uh, 12-point lead at the half, and they ended up losing this game by, I think, um, by five points. So do the math. They lost the second half by 17 points in a game that Xavier was absolutely playing like dog shit in. Did you see the moment where Ed Cooley went to pump up the crowd and there were more Xavier fans than Georgetown fans? I tried not to watch as much of Ed Cooley as I can, but I was watching locked into this game. Yes, I saw it. Beyond the Bench was kind of sad looking. Yeah, I thought that was really state of the program uh, when I saw that moment. All right, Rye, let's go to Big East teams that are actually interesting and have a chance because I believe all nine of these teams still believe their season is alive right now. And coming in at 8-11 and 11 in Big East play as of today are your Butler Bulldogs. Butler this week went 1-1. They lost to St. John's 59-82, to and then they beat DePaul 82-63. to I think at this point, Butler has played themselves off of the bubble, and they will almost certainly need the automatic qualifier. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Uh, disappointing week. Well, they've had a number of disappointing weeks recently. That St. John's game was kind of one last chance to get back on the bubble. Uh, losing that game was, uh, you know, pretty much the death of their chance at an at-large bid. How many points did they give up to St. John's? 82 points. And one of the things, I don't want to call out Butler fans. You guys are college kids at the end of the day. But the Hinkle crowd was underwhelming in a must-win game. Uh, you know, if Butler wins this game, we're talking about them on the right end. Of the- they are eight and eleven. It's not their the students' responsibility to help them get a win. They need to be good, and the students will show up. What are we? Well, absolutely. They, but when your team is close to a bubble, you would like to have more fans. We had several people tell us that this was the worst crowd of the season, and Ed Cooley would like to have more fans. Also, there's That's a the- big difference between Butler and Georgetown. You're just into, you just don't want to call out the Butler fans. No, it's know. just it, it's silly. They had they you. How many games in a row did they lose? They lost five in a row, and you're going to say the Butler fans are the problem? Well, I would have Win liked some to see games. Bigger, I would like to see a bigger crowd during that game. That would have all I was trying to say. You had a chance to be a tournament team, and they they choked it away at this point, um, allowing 82 points to St. John's in a game that was never really that close. Um, it's pretty bad. Here, Brooks and Posh Alexander. Posh Alexander kept them in it in the first half, um, but they're just unfortunately – a step below them right now, but I do think Butler feels like they can make a run in the Big East tournament. I know every team thinks that, but I think Butler might legitimately have a chance to make a run. Yeah, well, it's what we said about Butler all season. They have plenty of talent. We love the talent. We love the pieces uh, that they got out of the transfer portal. They just have a hard time winning games, uh, finishing games. I think if they run it back next year, that they're going to have a really fun team. I hope those are the conversations they're having in the locker room. But yeah, if, if they get really hot, they could, I mean, they could beat anybody. They played UConn well, uh, they played UConn well twice. Yeah, and this is the fun part about this, you know, these next nine teams that we're going to talk about. All nine of them have a chance, at least, to, you know, go on a run. Um, they play Xavier as their last game of the season. So they pretty much had some must-win game and then do a lot of damage in the Big East tournament. Uh, 
I don't really see a path, but it, they'll have 18 wins. I believe John just told us so that no team we should have asked and clarified, um, do those 20 wins and count the Big East tournament or do they not count the Big East tournament? Yes, they count the Big East tournament. So that means if Butler gets two wins, no Big East team has ever not made the tournament with 20 wins. They have 17 right now. If they beat Xavier and then they win two games, that would make them at 20. They will also probably, they're going to be the nine seed probably. So they're going to be playing the eight seed. Um, so that's going to be, they're going to have hard game from the beginning. They're not going to have a George Hunter to fall to start. Because they're not playing Wednesday? Oh, they'll play Wednesday. They'll play Wednesday, but they'll be in the 8-9 game where um, you need to be the 6 or the 7 seed to play George oh, the ball. That, so, do you remember that game two years ago got Travis Steele fired? I don't, I don't think Thad's in any trouble of getting fired right now, hopefully, because he has brought some energy back to that program where they were in a bad spot. Yeah, I wasn't suggesting Thad Mattis going to get fired. You heard it here first on Biggie's Barroom. Ryan is calling for Thad Mattis' head. Right, going into our next team, fourth from the bottom, also known as eighth in the conference. We have three teams tied, so I'm just going to go the way ESPN has it set up right now, which is the Xavier Musketeers at 9-9. Nine and nine. And Xavier this week was able to get two wins, although they did have DePaul and Georgetown week. Um, they beat DePaul by 33 points, and then they beat Georgetown in a really entertaining game, I'm sure, that Xavier fans would have liked it to be a little more relaxing. <clears throat> yeah, something about this Georgetown team seems to have Xavier's number a little bit. Not that they won either game, but they played two of their best games of the season against Xavier. Xavier's very lucky to have escaped that one. That one's pretty much completely going to get chalked up to Desmond Claude, who put on his career performance, 36 points. Um, his new career high, he was just amazing down the stretch. He was unstoppable. Sean Miller was running every play for him, for him to get downhill. And uh, you would have loved to see this be the club that we saw all season. A lot less three-point shooting. He took one three-point shot and a lot more driving the basket. He's terrific getting downhill. Yeah. I, Desmond Claude, to me, had, had been a little bit underwhelming at points this year. But to score 36 points and pretty much save any semblance of their season on a night that Quincy Oliveri, their best player all year, had an off-shooting night. Um, so to get that performance by Desmond Claude stepping up is really important. Um, this the Savior team, I think if we're gonna do, I don't want to eulogize them yet because they have a chance in the tournament. We're just I would have really liked to see this team with those two front court players to see what they would have been because I think it's very clear they're missing two front court players. They have three really good guards. Bring in Jerome Hunter and Zach Fremantle, and we'll see what this team could have looked like. But that's kind of the what ifs of basketball. Yeah, I think they, they came up short, you know, and, and they struggled down the stretch a little bit. You know, they lo had lost four in a row before this week. But there was moments there in this season where you were like, wow, maybe Sean Miller's going to pull off the impossible despite, you know, all the injuries and all the setbacks. I think it's a net. I think it's a net optimistic season if you're a Xavier fan. Sean Miller managing to turn this team into almost a tournament team. Yeah, this is a team that competed with Houston, Purdue, and UConn. I mean, those might be the three best teams in the country. They have the number one strength of schedule. They didn't shy away from those big matchups, and they didn't really get blown out. You'll look back at the Oakland game and the other bye game that they lost this year and say, well, how different would it be if they had won both of those games? Um, I do think one of the interesting things is Miller gave a press conference last week saying basically there's going to be players who aren't going to get playing time anymore. 
And I've been trying to read between the lines on what's going on there. And uh, Nemeshka has been getting a lot less playing time. So I do, you always wonder about transfers and stuff like that. Um, I'm not at all trying to insinuate that's going to happen, but it is a storyline to monitor because he called out his guys very publicly saying that some guys aren't going to play, get playing time anymore. Um, and there's been some minutes differences since then. I think the only thing going into this offseason that matters is retaining Sean Miller. Xavier should be doing whatever they can to retain him because if you don't, you have to start from the bottom again. All right. If we're going to talk about the next team, which again, I'm just going by ESPN with nine and nine. That is the St. John's Red Storm who played one game this week and won their one game against Butler, 82 to 59. Yeah. And what was a game that played them back on the bubble? Now we owe St. John's fans kind of an apology. We sat here last week and we said the Creighton win really doesn't matter at all because they're still not back on the bubble. Their season's done. You know, we, that was kind of the narrative around them. Well, now they're on the bubble after beating Butler, what they've won three games in a row now. Yeah. And they're, and I think one of the interesting things that I stumbled into last week is their last two games of the season are Georgetown and DePaul. So they're going to end the season 11 and nine in conference. That's not, Wonderful, but that's definitely bubbly. And I and I get it that those wins are Georgetown and DePaul, but they shouldn't be punished because their last they haven't played both their Georgetown and DePaul games yet. Other teams' records are inflated by that Georgetown and DePaul loss. Literally every team in the Big East, other than DePaul, has won those games. Yeah, nobody's arguing that point. I don't I don't know why you're um yes, of course those should well, count I, as wins. Everybody is saying that these games aren't gonna really matter, but they are going to pump up the record and they're gonna get 19 wins going into the Big East tournament. So then if we use the metric that John Fanta just taught us, stick around for the John Fanta interview. Uh if they get to if they win one Big East tournament game, they're in the tournament. And for them, then I think it's really important that they stay off that 8-9 game. They are going to want to play Georgetown or DePaul in that, on Wednesday night of the tournament because if they're able to get to 20 wins, you know, we'll see what happens. John's, John says that you're not going to miss the tournament with 20 wins. I don't think the ter- committee is going to keep Rick Pitino out of the tournament with 20 wins, and he's, they're going to make a precedent out of keeping um, out of a Big East team out of the tournament with 20 wins. Yeah. I mean, it'll be Rick Pitino as the first one ever. Glenn Taylor was terrific in this game. He shot five of seven, 17 points. RJ Lewis coming off the bench gave you 15 points. I do think Patino has started to find a way to, to use this roster in order to get them to, to play the type of basketball he needs them to play. Uh, Joel Soriano got to start again, he played 29 minutes, uh, 13 rebounds, didn't do much offensively for you, but they didn't need it. They managed to score 82 points without him. Even getting into double figures. I think one of the impressive th- things about this game is we were trying to watch about three games at this time, but a lot of times St. John's relies on Dennis Jenkins to win you games. He's averaging 14 and a half points. He's one of the best players in the country. He can create his own shot. But in a game that he kind of struggled with eight points on 12 of 13 shooting, they're still able to win against a bubbly Butler team as well. So, you know, I've criticized their depth. I think it is too, too much depth in some ways. But in games like this where you see other players step up, like R.J. Lewis or um, Taylor, Rick Pitino is probably saying, you know what, we empowered them at the beginning of the season by giving them so many minutes. So you're admitting you were wrong and you were being weird about their depth no, the entire time? It's not. It's a very odd to be still playing 11 players this far into the season. Well, it's working better than some guys who are not playing 11 players. So. Sure, and it's working a lot less good than a lot of teams that are playing seven or eight players. There's let more teams not in the NCAA tournament than in the NCAA well, tournament. That's silly. Yeah, that's on, that's on a hot take. All right, and if we're going to go with the third 9-9 nine and nine team on ESPN that I am using, 
That is the Providence Friars, who probably are the biggest loser of the week, losing to Marquette at Marquette. Nothing to be ashamed of there. This Kolek and Osa did play in this game. But then they lost to Villanova uh, at Providence at the Amp in a game that I, I had deemed win and you're in. Right, the Friars, I think, have played themselves off the bubble, but with the ability to get back on, that's what's great about still having a few games left in the season. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what uh, Kim English said. I, I want to revisit part of the intro. I'm not convinced that there's no shame in losing by 22 points at Marquette. That was kind of a big game. Uh, you know, you had a Providence. Friars players were really pumped up for that one. They were tweeting a lot of stuff out. Uh, that was the big one today. Big kind one of, today. Kind of movement. And then they were... I don't want to call them a no-show because, you know, they, they I don't know, maybe you call them a no-show. They scored seven points through the first 10 minutes. They scored 17 points through, like, the first 17 minutes. Yeah. Uh, they scored a lot of garbage time points. Devin Carter scored a lot of garbage time points. Ended up putting 43 up in the second half, but it was over at halftime. I thought the much more concerning was one was to lose that way to Villanova. I think, you know, a lot of people go into Pfizer and they get blown out. But to lose on your home court where you're basically saying, we just hold serve at home, we're good. I mean, you lost by 11 points to this Villanova team. Yes, it was definitely close at times, but you, you shoot 10 of 30 from three. You allow this Villanova team, which has been offensively challenged at times, to shoot 51% from the field. I mean, yeah, that's concerning. I, I, I agree. I think it was one of the worst defensive performances of the season. You saw guys who were really out of position. Um, one thing that I noticed is, it almost looked like they were overhyped, some of the defenders, because they were they were going to the ball when it wasn't their man to cover and leaving guys open. Like it was almost like they were trying to make too big of plays defensively. And Villanova was just very patient and picked them apart on that. Um, you know, the, those poor defensive per, uh, possessions. Yeah, I mean, this. I thought one of the things that was interesting was that. Uh, Providence gave up a lot of threes to really good three-point shooters. Brendan Housen had, I think, two open looks in this game. Um, he hit three, but one of them was well contested. I thought at certain times the momentum just got away from them. Um, whenever they built momentum, uh, Villanova would just come down the court and hit a three-pointer because Providence was out of position. If we're going to go by John Fanta's metrics, which we now have decided to live and die by, which is great, they have 18 wins. They play Georgetown. They're going to get that game. That's 19 wins. Then if they can avoid the seven and eight game, they play Georgetown at DePaul again. That would be 20. They're going to get UConn as well at home. If they win that game, I think they're firmly. Yeah, but you have to remember they they have 10 quad four wins. So if there's ever a team you leave out for 20 wins, 10 quad four wins, and then it'll be 11 because they have Georgetown again. And then it would be 12 because they, if they play Georgetown at DePaul again. I don't think you can put them in on 12 quad four wins. So is their season come down to beating UConn at the amp? Uh, Potentially. All right. If we're going up from there, we are finally out of the nine and nine Big East teams. And we are in fifth place in the Big East right now is the Villanova Wildcats, who are 10 and eight. And Villanova this week, I have as my big winner. They win two games. They held Georgetown to the aforementioned 47 points. And then they just beat Providence 71 to 60. This Villanova team is trending in the right direction. Uh, we're going to get into, you know, individual players and everything. But I think every bit of a conversation right now for Villanova starts with Justin Moore. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I thought he was really good in this game against Providence because of the Georgetown game. Who cares? It's Georgetown. You did what you had to do. But the Providence game, I thought he was fantastic. You know, he had 
Mark Armstrong runs a point for them. He Justin Moore had four assists. I thought that was and no turnovers. I thought that was really nice. He hit his shots. I'd still like to see him uh, get a little more volume up. I mean, he's. I, I looked this up the other day. He's taking less shots than he has since his freshman year. Um, he's only taking about nine shots a game, which is kind of interesting. But he's shooting efficiently. He shot efficiently in the Providence game, and uh, you know, I agree with you. I think he was a huge difference maker. I think. It looks like he just likes playing basketball. These two games, he shoots 8 of 14 from 3. It looks like he finally trusts his legs again. He's going to get into the positions he wants to. And he's going to get up his shots. And he's not even taking them. He's knocking them down at a high level. In these two games, I know we're talking about volume. But to shoot 14 threes over two games is probably what you want from Justin Moore at this point. Because of, he's probably your best perimeter of offensive player. Yeah, but how many shots did he take in the, in the Providence game overall? I think he only took 10 shots. 10 shots. Four of six from three. You know, and I, I think a guy like Justin Moore, I don't hate him taking more shots than 10 shots, but that's really the only piece I think is missing from where he was at. But for a while, you were. We didn't want Justin Moore taking so many shots because he wasn't the most efficient shooter. Uh, Villanova right now is 17 and 12, 10 and 8 in conference. They play Vill- uh, Seton Hall at Seton Hall, and then they get Creighton at Villanova. In my opinion, they have to win one of these games to get into the tournament. I think that this team is trending in the right direction, but they can't look and be like, oh, job's finished. We did what we needed to do. I think they 100% need one of these games and maybe maybe both of them to get to be firmly into the tournament. No, I think I think you were right when you said one, especially because they're going two seat in balls. So that should be a quad one game. Um I, but they're probably in the tournament either way, in my opinion. You know, it, maybe if they if they lose their last three, you're right. That would be a tough sell to the NCAA tournament committee. But they have been so good in the month of February. They're six and two, with one of their those two losses being to the UConn Huskies at Gamble. At Gamble, uh, they've completely turned around their season, and I think we need to be talking about Sweet Sixteen again for them. So I think that's a little high for a bubble team right now. One of the things that wildly impressed me in the Providence game, I thought Kyle Neptune, a lot of times Kyle Neptune just seems very reactive, go with the flow. He was, his body language I thought was really good, and it just seemed like he was really comfortable. It seems like him and Justin Moore's comfortability is going up right now, and it looked like Kyle Neptune was in control of the sideline rather than just being a passenger. All right, right, we have... Three more teams to talk about because we will save UConn as the team of the week. And we will move on to our next team, which is the Seton Hall Pirates, who went 0-2 this week against Creighton and against UConn. Two blowout losses. They lose both these games by a combined 51 Yeah, got to be a disappointing week for them. Uh, In two games where they really had a chance to cement themselves in the NCAA tournament. Uh, the Creighton game, the UConn game was tough. Senior day at Gamble against, you know, uh, one of the best teams in the country, top three or whatever the heck they're ranked right now. I don't think you take too much away from them for that, even though the way they lost is concerning. And it's probably the same thing with Creighton, right? It's not the fact that they lost. It's the way they lost, the way they looked uncompetitive, the way they didn't look like they were up for the game. None of this applies to Dre Davis, who was fantastic in both games. Uh, but the rest of the team, 
they didn't look like an NCAA tournament. They didn't pass the eye test this week. And that's why St. Hall's metrics aren't great. Everyone asks why, you know, a team that's 18 and 10, fourth place in the Big East is on the bubble. It's because when they lose, they lose. And they lose bad on the road. They lost this game, you know, losing by 21 to Creighton. This is coming on the heels of, the, the, you know, during this run. They lost by 26 against Villanova at Villanova. This team is having a really hard time away from New Jersey. Um, they've lost a five Big East road games. They went five and five in the Big East on the road. So this Seton Hall team has really struggled away from Orange. And I think that, you know, when we're talking about they won't be playing any of their NCAA tournament games in Orange, New York. So Orange, New Jersey. Orange, New Jersey. I don't know. I, I don't know if I buy the the whole away home thing. Some of those away losses happened when Kandari Richmond wasn't playing. Hard to, you know, hold that against them. I thought this week, I mean, they had, I think this is the worst they had looked with Kadari Richmond since the non-con. Lost by 26 to Villanova at Villanova with Kadari Richmond. They lost by 21 against Creighton with Kadari Richmond. They lost by 30 with against UConn at UConn with Kadari Richmond. So, so two of those games are the ones I just referenced. Yes. So, so there's one you're pointing out. So, I mean, but there's some really bad losses on here and some blowout losses. I, I am concerned for them. I think that their metrics have been, um, a lot of it's indicative of how they lost some, some of it's, you know, margin of victory, but some of it's margin of defeat. If you keep a game close, your metrics don't get killed. If you get, yeah, but who cares? I, I, well, can't, I can't with the freaking metrics. Well, they, the, who cares? The committee does. Yeah, but well, they shouldn't. All right. Can't it's done about that. All right. But I don't want to hear it because listen, you lose, you lose, you play to win the game. All right. They were bad. They lost. But the committee, if we're going to. Losing by 10 points and losing by 20 is the same thing because you lost. If we're going to talk about the NCAA tournament, we have to do it with a bit of reality that the committee wouldn't think. Look at things that the committee will look at. If you would like to say that, I will vote for you on the next committee. But right now, I, that's what the committee looks at. That's the basis. That's why Seton Hall. I, I take back. nothing away from Seton Hall for losing by 30 instead of losing by 10. It doesn't make a difference. Now, if you lose by three points, okay, I'll give you a little more credit. But you lost by 10 points. I thought you, you lost, played to win the game. You lost by 10 points. You lost by 30. It's not relevant. So you it's, it's about how you played in garbage time. Who cares? So you play to win the game or to lose by three points at any given time. I You get beat by a buzzer beater. That's a different conversation. Yeah, but if you no-show for a game, that's concerning. They know, they have no-showed for more games in the Big East than pretty much any team other than Georgetown and DePaul. Completely no-showed. Butler has some no-shows. But not, like, other than this St. John's game for Butler, not to this level. This Seton Hall team had not a great non-con. They lost to a winless, or they beat a winless Missouri team, Missouri in conference, by like five points. They they lost to USC. This team didn't have a great non-con to begin with. Yeah, and they beat UConn, they and did. they beat Marquette. They did. And uh, they didn't beat Creighton. They lost in double overtime, right? Triple overtime. Triple overtime. I, for the record, I want Seton Hall in, but when you're asking to when their committee looks at this and their net is in the 60s, they're going to be like, well, sorry, you're not even considered. And that's what's going to be frustrating. And that's dumb. And that is why the the whole conversation is ridiculous. Watch the games. If you can beat UConn, you're an NCAA tournament team. Right. The next thing on the list is the Creighton Blue Jays who went uh, – 2-0 this week. They beat Seton Hall 85-64, to and which was either a really close game, um, according to Ryan, or it didn't matter, the score, by a blowout. I, no, it was certainly a blowout. And then they beat Marquette by 15, but Marquette did not have Tyler Cook or Oso Godaro. 
Creighton's trending in the right direction. I really like the way that they're playing. Their guys have really started to start in their roles, and I'm really excited for them in the tournament. I don't know. That 15 points is, is a little misleading on that Marquette game. They played a very close game against um, Marquette's backups, which I think is kind of concerning. Hey, is that not a little concerning? Play to win the game. And I do. I agree with what you're saying. I thought Cam Jones played out of his mind for Marquette and kept them in it. And Cam Jones is that dude. It's not like Cam Jones, a guy off the bench, beat him. Stevie Mitchell beat him by hustling. Stop me if you've heard that before. I do think that it would be more concerning if they were in a five-point game. They pulled away at the end of this game. If you told me they won by 15 and I didn't watch the game, I'd be like, all right, well, that makes sense. They won with by 15 without Colic or Oso Godaro. They also covered the spread by a lot. I think the spread ended up at six and a half, even when we found out that. But, was, but that's why we watch the game. <laughs> but but if well, we don't come on the podcast but, to read the box so score. You're it, right. You're right. But if the people who are in charge of making decisions are saying that it is a six and a half point, it's about supposed to be about a six and a half point spread. And you win that spread by 10 points. That is impressive. You won by more than people thought you were going to so win So you are on the record saying it's impressive that they played that close of a game against Marquette's backups. They won a double-digit game against Marquette. Bad take. Against a top, top five team in the country. Bad take. The, and, Creighton, and Creighton Blue Jays know that, that they should have played significantly better for most of the game and not had it come down to the end where they had to pull away. Uh, their lucky Baylor Shireman was shooting the freaking lights out. Shot 6-12 from 3, 26 points to go along with 16 rebounds. Um, their offense showed up. They put up 89 points. So it was the defense that was concerning to me. Um, but I know it's not, you know, those aren't overarching concerns. There's no overarching concerns for Creighton right now other than the same overarching concerns we've had. Their physicality, their ability to ride four players for an entire 40 minutes every single game. Um, they don't get into foul trouble, which is a really good you know, good news for them. But there's no, for me, other than the, no new concerns came up this week. McDermott had a really interesting inside the huddle uh, when there was early in the first half, there was no whistles for like five or eight minutes. He was like, this favors us. He said, this favors, we're not calling a timeout. This is plays to our favor. What an interesting thing to say when you only play five guys. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in this game, 37 minutes for Trey, 38 for Shireman, 36 for Ashworth, and 38 for Cockbrenner. And they just used that, Four spot to rotate in a little bit, and that's about it. But usually, when you say that, it's because you have a lot of depth. He is the, has the exact opportunity. He must believe in their conditioning like nobody's business. But other teams should be looking to poach their conditioning coach because it's impressive. Uh, one of the things for Creighton that I've been really impressed with about over the last twelve games, Trey Alexander's averaging twenty points a game. He's really coming to form, and his efficiency has gone up a lot. He's been shooting about 50% from the field since he kind of no-showed for two straight games, one against UConn and one against St. John's. All right, and that leaves just one team left. That would be the number two team in the Big East, the Marquette Golden Eagles. They went 1-1 one one this week. They smacked Providence at home, and then they lose to Creighton. But, of course, by far the biggest conversation has to be about the health of their Big East Player of the Year and also the health of their um, all Second team Big East player. I don't want to downplay any illness, but I do believe that Oso Godaro will be fine. He traveled with the team, stayed in the hotel. I did have some interesting questions whether Oso could have felt better at halftime and coming to play. Nobody seemed to have an answer for me. Tyler Kolek's oblique. I am a massive baseball fan. Obliques keep baseball players out forever. I have no idea how time how much time he will miss uh, for basketball. Also getting injury news from universities is like trying to get money out of Fort Knox. Yeah, you're not going to find out anything. Um, 
ahead of time. But the oblique, my understanding is it takes a long time to heal. You can theoretically play through it, but that you're going to feel that twinge. And especially the way he plays basketball, every time you rotate your abdomen, you're going to feel that sharp pain. I know swinging a bat is really hard to come back from. So that's all I can basically, that's, and I would guess that you're right. Swing, the way that he throws those one-handed left-handed passes, you'd be a little bit worried about it. I, I don't think we're talking a lot about the games because they don't really matter that much. Marquette's a, in the tournament as a two or a three seed at this point. Um, well, if we're going to talk about that, we're going to talk about Tyler Kolick's core for the whole time. We're not going to talk about their loss. Well, okay, let's talk about the... Cam being, Jones is really flipping good. Yeah, let's talk about Providence real quick, though. I thought the defense was just incredible it was amazing stevie mitchell was all over the guys ben gold was making huge defensive plays chase ross oh Godaro, they looked so connected one of the things that's so fun about their defense is they don't have defensive monsters like a kadari richmond like a donovan Klingon, just like big physical the way they play defense is that they're all connected and they all fly around and they all play off of each other and they communicate it's really unique, and it was so much fun. I thought they put on a clinic against Providence. I, I completely agree with you. I thought they were really good. I don't think it's Providence and them who feeds off their home court better. I mean, this team, we watched, we were at the Notre Dame game. The way they lock in defensively for these kill stretches where they're trying to get three stops in a row, I don't know if there's a better team in the country at doing that, um, their ability to lock in at home. And I do think that if Tyler Kohler comes back and is healthy, we're going to look back on this and just see the maturation of, Cam Jones uh, in two games, he scored 40 points and that's coming off of the two before that, where he scored 34 and 34 points. He played all 40 minutes against Creighton. Um, he was the reason they were in that game for a long time. I, I do think we really saw him grow up. And I do think the last thing is if Ben gold, who is a pretty good three point shooter, doesn't shoot one of eight. And this is kind of counterpointing what I was saying earlier. He had a lot of open looks and he shot one of eight. If he hits a few of those, I think we're talking about like a five point game in a lot of ways. But that, that's a great point, yeah. Tyler. And who it, at the end of our 30 minutes here has finally come around that um, how you play matters and not just the box score. And if, you know, and if UConn or if Creighton made more shots in the tournament last year, they also would have won that. I mean, you, you, you have to make the shots that you take. There's a very real possibility that Oso and Kohler go pro after this year. Cam comes back to be the number one option. We got a peak of that. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, and uh, I will sign up to watch Stevie Mitchell play 40 minutes of basketball any day of the week. That kid plays like his hair is on fire. He is really close to winning Defensive Player of the Year. And he I, he just keeps getting better. This week was probably one of his best weeks in college basketball. Absolutely. This team showed me a lot. I mean, remember, they're down Sean Jones to begin with, so they're down one rotational player to be down an additional two, your most important players. Wildly impressive stuff to stay in this game. But, you know, at the end of the day, we will all be looking at Tyler Kulik's abdomen, which we really, you know, that's how we started the season. <laughs> all right. That's 10 teams. That leaves our team in a week. And we are lucky enough to be joined by the great, great John Fanta. Stick around after this short break to hear us talk. Not just UConn, but all awards, Biggie's tournament, all kinds of fun stuff. All right, Biggie's Barroom fans, we are excited to announce that we have joined forces and partnered with Homefield Apparel. One of the great things about Homefield Apparel is they cover all 11 Biggie's teams. I like it because you get the generic shirts from the team store and all this. No, you're going to Homefield Apparel. You're going to be getting a new shirt. You're going to be wearing something unique. People are going to stop you. They're going to say, where did you get that? You're going to say Homefield Apparel. All right. You're going to say enter the code BEBR and you get a discount. How about that? 
And then you're going to take their phone. We've talked a lot about this on the podcast. You're going to take their phone. You're going to take their credit card out respectfully. And you're going to put in the information, B-E-B-R, get yourself a discount, get yourself a Big East shirt. You're going to the Big East tournament. You want to wear a shirt. You don't want to be the guy who has the Creighton Blue Jay, just like everybody else. Go get yourself a shirt, Home Field Apparel, B-E-B-R. Check us out. All right, Big East fans, we are joined by the voice of the Big East, Mr. John Fanta, to talk some Big East tubes, talk a little UConn, talk some overall awards. John, how are you doing on this Sunday? Thanks for joining us. I'm doing fantastic, gentlemen. It's great to be with you. Congrats on a terrific season of coverage by you guys. You're crushing it with the guests. I'm happy to be one, and it's always Fun talking Big East basketball with you. We are in the best time of the year. The calendar is flipped to March. The conference tournament's just 10 days away. I can't wait. This, this is what we live for. This is why we do it, guys. John, your enthusiasm for this sport is contagious, and we're so grateful for you. Um, speaking of March, speaking of, you know, championships, let's dive into our team of the week. It's your UConn Huskies. Uh, who just clinched the regular season championship at Seton Hall in, in what was, you know, just another dominant performance. What, what's impressed you the most about them this season compared to, you know, just outperforming what they did last season to this point? Well, they're a better team this season than they were last season. And I think that's because Tristan Newton hasn't just turned it on in March. He's had it on all season. Tristan Newton has been elite all throughout the year, super steady as a shot maker. Terrific as a facilitator. So when you're getting that type of point guard play, game in and game out, that consistency is why Connecticut is the most complete team in America. They're not the team. They're not just the team of the week. They're the team of the year uh, because th this group, they're just a wagon. You know, I've called them an avalanche, a never-ending avalanche, and that's because they have elite shot making. You know, Cam Spencer, you would think he's been at UConn for five years, right? You would think he's been around for a long, long time with the way he's fit into this program. Alex Caravan's beyond his years from a maturity standpoint. Donovan Klingon's a monster who protects the rim. And they're, they defend with Klingon on the floor. When Klingon was out, UConn was outside the top 50 analytically defensively. They were not a good defensive basketball team. With Klingon on the floor, they're one of the five, 10 best defensive teams in the country. So he's the glue to their whole defensive operation. They've got shot making on the perimeter. And I do think that the continual growth of Stefan Castle, the unquestionable Big East freshman of the year, is an underlying storyline to this whole season. They've gotten better as Castle's gotten better. And I, I just think they answer every question. I, I love this team. I think I would be surprised if they weren't in the final four in Arizona because I just I, I want to see how would they lose before that. How would they lose to a team outside the top 10 on a neutral floor? I love this Connecticut team. And uh, I, I think, I think they're better than last year just because of the consistency. It's, it's almost as if these guys, the run they were on to win a national championship, they, they started playing the very next week. There's been no drop off from a lot of these pieces. John, how you get to talk to Hurley a little bit. You get to be close to that UConn team. How does he keep this UConn team motivated? Because you're right, coming into a, you have a national championship hangover, and they have not had anything go wrong. And the fact that this team's still diving on the court up 30 points, it's just a testament to him. How does he do that? Well, he's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but in a good way, in a good way. 
He's a good crazy. Uh, aren't we all? No, Danny, Danny is the epitome of a motivator. He, he drives his guys. He's firm on effort. He's big on effort. And he gets into his, his teams. You know, he really is a guy who wants to see his group play with a chip on their shoulder every time out, but, but has the staff members. I think the staff, a great coach is also signified by who's on their staff. Tom Moore is sort of the traditional UConn guy who was with Jim Calhoun. Kamani Young's an elite recruiter of talent, elite evaluator. Luke Murray, Luke Murray could be a head coach right now. So could Young. Uh, you know, and I think that for Danny, you got to have staff members who mellow the guys out. When he gets on you or when he's yelling, I sense when I'm in their practices, when I've been in their practices, Dan can say anything to any one of his players, but they know how to take it. They, they know who he is. They know how to take his form of motivation. I also think the act would be old if UConn hadn't won at the level that they've won at. When you've won a national championship, everything you say is already validated. You also got to get the right kind of kids. You know, I don't know if some of those early UConn teams, like it's hard to build up a blue blood. And let's face it, we, we were debating if UConn was a blue blood last year because of how far they had dropped off. To get them back to that status, there were going to have to be some hard conversations and hard days. But you got to have the right kids. If you watch Klingon and you watch Caravan, they're UConn guys. They take great pride for playing for the school. They can get reamed out, but they, they're there for the greater purpose of playing for Connecticut. So I, I think Danny's, Danny finds a new way to motivate his team every day. Today, as we're talking on Sunday, his form of motivation was pretty easy. Fellas, our worst performance of the year came against Seton Hall. You better be out for redemption. They were, and they got it. Um, so I just think he never stops motivating his guys. I think he was crazy back in his playing days at Seton Hall, uh, you know, get, getting recruited there and, and going there. P.J. Carlissimo will tell you that. And, and that never leaves. He's a Hurley. They're the ultimate competitors. Ultimate competitors, when they're winning, have a little bit of crazy to them, but that's what makes them so good. It's Hurley's DNA that makes him as good as he is. John, that moves us right over into, um, you know, the other um, segment we wanted to do with you, which is talk about, you know, kind of this Big East season as a whole. You know, right now there's a lot of conversations being had about potential player of the year. There's a lot of debate online. Who is the front runner? We want to know who the voice of the Big East is. uh, Who's his pick as of today? Well, my pick last week would have been Devin Carter. It really would have been. But it's it's very, very hard to pick a player of the year on a 9-9 and team in conference. So... To me, Tristan Newton is UConn's most important player, and UConn's clearly the best team in this league. I'm giving it to the Connecticut point guard for the role that he plays. You know, there's not a lot of guys who average around 16, 17 points per game, six assists per game, and six rebounds per game, and Newton does. When you have those kind of numbers, fellas, you walk into the gym every night, and you're kind of on a triple-double watch. Like, you could quantify it. When people are like, ah, he doesn't have the, the, the best numbers. Yeah, he does on a team this balanced. His numbers are terrific. I would give it to Tristan 
Newton, I don't know how you guys feel. I know Pollock's in the running. I I think Baylor Shireman's been underrated in this race. I really do. I, I would consider him. Um, I think Carter means more to his team than any other player to his team, but I got to go with the team at the top. Uh, I, my principle's always been it's got to go to a top three team in the league. I was willing to break that for a little while with Providence, but some recent defeats mean that I, I'm going to go with I'm going to go with Tristan Newton to win this Player of the Year race. I do think there's a very good opportunity uh, that this is a co-award that there are two winners of the Player of the Year. That that's how I think it'll end up. But if I had to pick one today, right now, I would vote Newton. Yeah, I'm with you, John. I had Calder. Um you know, for a long period of time, but with the loss to Villanova, they're probably off the bubble. They're probably, or they're probably on the wrong side of the bubble. They are. You give it to the best player on the best team. I think Tristan Newton is, uh, has to be the front runner, but Tyler Kolick gets a rebuttal at UConn. If he can go, Devin Carter gets to play UConn again. So no, I wouldn't say wrapped up yet. What do you think? I've, I have Tyler Kolick as a player of the year right now, just because his numbers are better than they were last year. Um, they, He's the best. That team is achieving right where we thought they would be the top five, five team in the country. And we saw what they were without him yesterday. That was a testament to Kolek and Osiris Godaro. So I have Kolek, but uh, I think they're probably going to give it to the best player on the best team. So Newton is a really good pick. John, is it a double? Are you doubling up then? Is, is Dan Hurley also your coach of the year undisputed for the Big East? Yeah, this is going to become a UConn awards ceremony at the Big East Awards. I mean, Dan Hurley's the coach of the year. Tristan Newton's my player of the year. Stefan Castle's my freshman of the year. We'll see who the scholar athlete of the year award winner uh, is, you know, they're, they're going to be in a room of Huskies. Uh, it, it's going to be an all Huskies award ceremony in the big East this year. Any argument for Holloway that you're hearing, maybe not after the loss today, but did you think he was close? I, I did. I did think that Shaheen was close. And I, I think that if he had won a game this week, he would have he would have really cemented that, but because Seton Hall got blown out so badly both times this week, um, you know they they're going to have to beat Villanova Wednesday to stay on the right side of the bubble. I think right now, I think they got to win that game. But I think it, Holloway would be second, absolutely. It's no question about it. But but it's hard to be coach of the year when you're in the same league as the reigning national champions who only have three losses on the entire season. I think it's disingenuous to not give it to Hurley. Hurley Hurley should be a top five finalist for national coach of the year. Remember this too. Remember this. UConn was picked third in the Big East preseason poll. Like they have exceeded their expectations. You know, that that's the thing. I think a lot of people are like, ah, he was supposed to be good. Oh, really? Because the coaches gave him, I thought they jobbed him in the preseason. Why would you give him a, a course of motivation? The coaches gave Hurley exactly what he wants, and he has taken it and run with it. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Um, do you have, have you thought out the rest of your first team? Do you have the rest of your picks at the moment? I don't want to put you on the spot. Uh, we could circle back to that later. I like it. No, you're, hey, I'm in, I'm in the bar room. I'm in the <laughs> chair here. I mean, come on. You, there's no, uh, there's no easy. Qu- Let's go. I, I like it. You're bringing the, you're bringing the fire in March. I love the question. Five other players or four other players? I guess it, isn't it? A, is it a five? Because you got Newton as one, and then you got the five others. Big East of six for some reason. Five others. Yeah. Here, yeah, that's right. This always confuses me as well. Yeah. All right, here we go. 
uh, Tristan Newton, Tyler Kolick, Devin Carter, Baylor Shireman. Oh man, it gets it gets interesting then. Um, Cam Spencer, mm-hmm. and I am gonna go with Ryan Kalkbrenner. Okay, okay. Um, strongly, strongly considered Eric Dixon. Strongly considered Quincy Oliveri, who you can't argue with his numbers. Like he's getting, he's not getting as much attention because Xavier's had a top, top year, but Oliveri's had an unbelievable season. What about Kadari from your alma? Second team, just because of the game in, game out consistency, he's he's probably the first man left off. But second team for Kadari Richmond. On his best day, he's a he's a top four player in the Big East. The problem is he hasn't always had those best days every single day. That that's what's keeping him from the first team. So Shireman and Kalkbrenner are just so consistent. I will say the only difference I have from you is I don't have Kalkbrenner. So what's the argument for Kalkbrenner on the first team? What am I missing? Well, national defensive player of the year finalist could could be the could be a three time Big East defensive player of the year award winner. Unbelievable rim protection. Uh, he's not just big. He, he is impactful. I mean, he's, he's just a stud. He, he's the glue to their operation defensively. He makes them efficient on that. And offensively, as he had some, some performances that are better than others, yes. But I just think he's priceless as a value on the interior. Uh, and that's why I give the lead to him. Who do you have instead of Kalkbrenner? I want to hear that. I had Kadari, but you know, you spoke about the inconsistency and he was, he did not have a good game today uh, in a chance to, you know, really make a splash. You know, he, he potentially could have had a player of the year type performance. So I might have to revisit and do a little reconsideration here and see if, uh, you know, maybe somebody else is more deserving. There's still time. There's still time, but uh, I got a big note for you here. This is a very important note. Uh, because of the nature of the postseason starting and how these coaches are wired, a fun fact here, the Big East coaches submit their voting. They submit their votes by Friday of this week. Oh, wow. In other words, Saturday does not, does not sway. And, and in a way, I respect it. You know why? Like, one game shouldn't carry the recency bias, and then you vote based off of one day. John, I want to bring us away from awards for a little bit and talk some bigger picture things. One of the biggest off-season stories was that Ed Cooley decided to jump from Providence to Georgetown. And we don't give Georgetown a lot of time on the podcast right now because it's been so bad. My, my question for you is, did you ever think it could be this bad for Georgetown this year? They're going to only win two games in conference, and both of them will be against the worst team in Power 6 basketball. No, I did not expect Georgetown to be as bad as they've been. Uh, and it's been bad. This has been a, a total disappointing season to only have two big East wins. I mean, that that's, that's rough. That that's a failure here in year one. Now uh, I think they, they swung and missed. I mean, it's on the staff to bring in the players, evaluate and bring in their people. They brought in guys who are okay as third, fourth, fifth, and then others who are like eighth or ninth options on a big East team. They don't have an alpha like Jade Neps has statistics. He's got the numbers, but he's not the best player on a team in the big East. They, they don't, they don't have a, a, a superstar and they don't, they don't have any physicality. Like what's so weird about this team 
is, is that they don't play at all like Ed Cooley teams. Like Ed Cooley's teams typically play physical basketball. They're up in you defensively. He can throw it in the post. You know, he hasn't run the flex consistently in a couple of years, but like Cooley's best teams, you could get an inside. You could just outgrind people. This team's not physical. They're soft. They, they don't have a backbone. So this has been a major disappointing season. And like, you're going to go into year two and year two's year one all over again. Cause the program didn't take a step forward. You're going to have a massive exodus of players and they're going to have to portal, portal, portal. It is what it is. Do I think that Ed Cooley will start to win some games? Yeah. Yeah. I would think so based off of his 18 years as a head coach, he's going to win more. But in terms of this season, this has been a large disappointment. They got to hit the reset button and they got a portal, you know, for them selection Monday can't get here soon enough. You got selection Sunday for the tournament selection Monday. When the portal gets rolling, Georgetown will be one of the most active portal schools. As a result, everyone, I guarantee you guys this in four weeks, everyone's going to say, Hey, Georgetown's the big transfer portal winner. Well, of course they are. They had to totally overhaul their roster. Let's reserve judgment until the games begin. You know, not every portal winner is a big winner when they get on the court. Ask Arkansas how that went for them. So Georgetown's going to have to renovate their roster. They're going to. I can tell you money's not a question. My sources tell me they're they're well in range to have as good of money in the Big East to pay for their team next year as any team in the conference. No excuses. You get you get a pass for this year. Nobody's going to nobody's going to, you know, down you this year. Well, nobody outside of Providence, Rhode Island is going to down you this year, but, but honestly, like, you know, that that's going to happen if they win 25 games or or win two games. So the fact is they're going to have to hit the reset button and we'll see what next year brings. They, this, this year has been disappointing. Is it the end all be all? No, there's only one direction to go and that's up. I think that's, that's great points all around, John. Um, but there's another, well, there's two more uh, first year Big East coaches, but let's look at the other big hire for the year it was Rick Pitino come to St. John's. Uh, you know, they had, they played all right in the non-conference. They played themselves off the bubble for a while. Now they find themselves right back square on the bubble with a couple big wins. What's your overall grade on Rick Pitino's first year in Queens? Well, you know, I would say, I would say it's, it's like a B minus C plus right now. Um, it's not an A it's far from that. An A would be they're firmly in the tournament. A B plus would be they're They're in it, but they're like a eight, nine game. And I think where you're at now, like, you know, this is kind of crazy, but part of the reason why I raised the grade is actually the very thing that Patino got all the negative attention for, which was calling out his team. But the one thing people don't talk about is, do you know how many millions of dollars that registered in free advertising for St. John's? Like as bad as it was, the program got picked up a ton in the national press. And guess what? The players have responded to all that criticism with three consecutive wins. It should go to five consecutive wins after they beat DePaul and Georgetown. Yeah. Like you got to make the tournament to, to stay on the B level. If you don't make the tournament, you're an NIT team. The grade can be no greater than a C. But it would appear that Dennis Jenkins and Jordan Dingle have figured things out. Chris Ludlam's playing more under control. They're actually guarding a little bit more. Joel Soriano's been a mixed bag. I'd like to see him be better. I think there was a moment in the season when he checked out. Glenn Taylor has emerged as an X factor for this team. Depth was never a question. I think Patino's just figured some things out and getting in touch with this group. 
And honestly, if I was a player for Patino, I'd be tired of getting ripped on. If St. John's wins their Big East tournament quarterfinal, I, I think that they're going to find their name called. It might be in Dayton, Ohio, but I think that they will make the NCAA tournament. Uh, and, you know, the fun fact, guys, only one Big East team has ever won 20-plus games and missed the NCAA tournament. It was John Beeline in West Virginia. This is years ago. Yeah, I know. That's it. That's a that's one that that always surprises me too. Because you would think maybe there's a twenty and thirteen team that just missed it that's scheduled soft. But no, I mean for St. John's, the pathways to get to twenty wins, uh, and I think they'll they'll take a five game winning streak into the Garden. If you win your quarterfinal game and make the semis, you know what's the biggest obstacle for St. John's? It's been this way for years. They haven't made a Big East tournament semifinal since two thousand. Conquer that obstacle, and you are also, I think, going to punch your ticket. To March Madness. John, one of the great things about the Big East is the coaching. I mean, this I'm not sure there's a better night in and night out coaching, you know, battle. One of the people I've been most impressed with this year is Kim English. Um, you know, with everything that went on with Ed Cooley, the, you know, the mass exodus, the anger in Providence, Rhode Island. Um, he's kept them together and he's you know, putting a team on the bubble that I didn't think was going to be closer, especially without Bryce Hopkins. Can you just speak on how, you know, you think Kim English's first year is gone? You know, we've talked a lot about Rick Pitino and Ed Cooley, but what's going on with Kim, uh, Kim English in Providence? Well, he has showed that he's a big East Tech coach, that he's tough. His teams play physical basketball. They play hard. He's developed Devin Carter. He's developed Corey Floyd. He's developed Jaden Pierre. He's a gamer, man. He could go out and play. He's up and down the sidelines. I think he's a terrific coach, an elite rising star in the business. And I just think he gets his teams to play so, so hard. You know, you play in Missouri, you play in the Big 12, you're going to be a gritty guy. And Kim is that. Providence got a star. And I fully believe this. I think Kim English can be the head coach at Providence College for the next 15, 20 years. I don't think he's going to go anywhere. I think he appreciates Providence for giving him an opportunity. He is going to make Providence his destination. It already is. Providence has the best fan base in the Big East. They're the wildest one. They're raucous. They're crazy. It's the best atmosphere in the league. Like, whether you love their fans or don't like their fans, you think this. They're passionate as hell. They've got the resources. They've got the facilities. They've got talent. The fact that they're even on the bubble right now is a testament to Kim and his ability to get his teams to believe. They probably got to win two this week to get back to the right side of the bubble. They'll beat Georgetown on the road. Then they can, they're going to have UConn at home. If they don't beat UConn at home, they got work to do in the Big East tournament. But the fact they're in this position is amazing. And I, I love the job Kim has done in year one. It's only just begun there. I, I've been very impressed. I'm with you. I think he runs good stuff too. Their concepts, the, the way that they run stuff offensively, it has a purpose. But guys, they've been like top 10, top 15 in defensive efficiency throughout the year. That's really impressive for them to guard at that level. I, I couldn't agree with you more, especially on that defense. It's been a lot of fun to watch. Um, we're about a week and a half out from the best conference tournament in America, uh, Madison Square Garden. We want to hear John Fanta's favorite and a sleeper team you know, maybe, uh, you know, you think could sneak in there. That's not getting a lot of attention. Well, the favorite is obviously Connecticut has to be, they, they should be the favorite and they are the sleeper is clearly Villanova. Uh, Villanova is emerging as the dark horse, the sleeper, whatever you want to call them. They're playing right now as well as any of the teams outside of 
Connecticut in this conference. They figured something out. They Their performance at Providence reminded me of who they were in Atlantis, a team that gets high percentage shots, drives and kicks. Brendan Hollison's gotten better. Justin Moore is now playing with a pep in his step. He looks healthier. Eric Dixon's a beast. The guy could be an NFL linebacker. He's that physical. He just bullies you and bullies you. You know, they, they, and they're defending. They're a weight room team. TJ Bamba, Tyler Burton, those guys are grown men. If Burton was walking down Wall Street right now, you, you'd be, you would confuse him as a 36 year old father of three girls uh, making finance deals happen all day. Like he's, he looks like an old man. They're an old team, they're a physical team. And you know what? Kyle Neptune's gotten a ton of criticism. I'm going to give him some credit. This season could have fallen off the rails. He's kept it on the rails. They're good enough to be in the Big East Championship game. Yeah, I said it. They're good enough to make a significant run. You know why? They got dudes who have won before, guys. Justin Moore and Eric Dixon aren't phased by anything. Tyler Burton won an NCAA tournament game over Iowa. You know, TJ Bamba has been a, a big part of winning. But you know what? He He's fitting in. To me, the biggest key for Villanova, Mark Armstrong, avoid mistakes. Just stay within yourself. Get If this team gets decent point guard play, they're going to make the tournament. They need one win this week. I think they'll get it. They've got at Seton Hall, home to Creighton. Get one if you're Nova. You're in the NCAA tournament. You beat North Carolina on a neutral floor. You won the battle for Atlantis. Yeah, you had a tough performance in the Big Five, but you went to Creighton and won. Um, you played Connecticut to a one-point game. Like there's some, there's a lot of teams who have not even been close to UConn. They actually were pretty close to them. That matters. The committee looks at everything. It's not just what your net is, which by the way, Villanova's nets in the top 30. I don't think you're Villanova and you're missing the tournament with a net of 28. They're, they're my dark horse team. John, we cannot thank you enough for coming into the bar room. Second year straight. We are huge fans. Uh, every big, big East game should be announced by you. You know, the, the, the level of passion you bring is unmatched. And we're so grateful that you came in, but we're so grateful we get to listen to you, you know, throughout the season. So thank you. I'm a big fan of the bar room. Thanks for inviting me in for a cold one. Hope you guys uh, have a great March. I'm sure I'll see you at Madison Square Garden. And thank you very, very much for having me on. All right. That was a lot of fun. We can't thank John Fanta enough for taking time out of his day. Come join us in the bar room. That pretty much wraps up week 16 of the Big East Barroom. We have one more regular season episode coming your way before we get into some post-season post play. That's where legends are made. Ty, anything you want to say before we sign off? No, best time of the year coming up. In two weeks, we will have a bracket in our hand. In one week, we will be done with Big East play. In 10 days, we'll be at Madison Square Garden. So once you're able to quantify it like that and get in the you know, weeks instead of months at a time. I'm pretty excited. Remember this time last year, there were questions about Hurley being a failure. Ed Cooley was staying in Providence. That was his dream job forever. I'm narratives are made in this last few weeks. Uh, it, it changes everything. So Paul was going to win a national championship. I don't know about that. Anyway, as always, thanks for pulling up a stool. <laughs>